everybody. Welcome back to the So We Speak podcast. This is Cole Fakes, joined by Terry Fakes for the last podcast of the year and always my favorite to record. This is our Best Books of 2023 podcast. Yes, it's my favorite too. And you know what? I keep a list, of course, of books because I wouldn't remember what I read, you know, 10 months ago. But as I look back through that list, it just it was exciting, like, oh, that was great. Oh, yes, I remember that book. And so if you don't do that, whether you use Goodreads or you just keep a list, I would recommend it so that you, uh, looking back at it, gives you a sense of your intellectual history of the year. Absolutely. I like to reflect a little bit in this podcast and just together on kind of reading trends for the year. Yes. That would certainly be one for me this year was I'm doing less reading and I've come to find out that it's directly proportionate to how many kids we have. So uh, with our second baby this year, my reading time has gone down a little bit. And with that has just come the, the, the necessity of admitting that I'm just not going to read as many books as I did before, which is, I'm glad to be able to say that because we're obviously glad to have a new baby and all of that. But I was an avid Goodreads user uh-huh. And would track my books since maybe 2017 or 2018. And this year, finally, I just stopped. I was like, "This, I am so far behind my reading goals. I'm so far behind what I'm used to reading that I just stopped. Which was fine, except for it presented a problem at the end of the year of having no idea what I'd read. So I had to go back uh-huh. into my Amazon uh, orders and look back through. Oh, yeah, 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 I love that book. That was a great book. Or, and I went back and looked at the stacks because it's amazing how quickly you forget reading a book. But then if somebody talks about the book, you can t- you can sure. talk about all, all kinds of stuff you. in the book. Yeah. It's just an amazing phenomenon. And so we've had to do some um, hunting and gathering to get our list together this year. Neither of us have been as good about documenting our reading. I've been keeping mine in my little data storage app, but my daughters-in-law got onto me at Christmas this year and said, I need to get on Goodreads. They said, I don't have to write a review of every book, but that I should just use Goodreads to record them. And so I foolishly made a commitment to put all of my 2023 books on my Goodreads, just to enter them. So anybody that's friends with you is going to get blown up. Everybody's going to, it's going to look like I read more than 60 (laughs) books in one week. Wow. That is impressive. Yes. Very impressive. Another trend I found myself this year is being a lot more active writing and marking up my books. Interesting. I think that uh, one of the other things that you and I both have done this year is we've read a lot more in topics. Some of that has been for podcast prep. Some of that has been for teaching series. For, For whatever reason, when you start to read multiple books on the same topic or the same person or by the same person, right? it's there's a necessity of marking up your books to be able to flip through quickly and find information. So, you know, one, one example is we're reading all these books right now, getting ready for this big C.S. Lewis series that we're doing. And if you right. don't, if you don't know that we're doing a huge, maybe seven episode series on C.S. Lewis, on his life, on his writings, it's going to be, I think one of the most exciting things we've ever done on the podcast. We're going to probably record it in February, release it in March. But the problem is after you read like two or three books on C.S. Lewis, you really start forgetting who said what. Right. Did he say this? Did somebody say this about him? Was this about him or was this about Tolkien? Who was this about? Right. And so I found myself doing a lot more writing in books, highlighting writing with a pen, uh, putting sticky tabs. That's been new for me this year. For me, I've 
always, for several years, I've had a habit of having a Kindle book going, and it is helpful for when you're standing in line. you got five minutes. I'll just mm-hmm. read a little of my Kindle book. And then I've done more Audible this year mm-hmm. just because it's been more convenient uh, for me to listen to books. And there are certain kinds of books I'll listen to. But there are many books I just need to read, highlight, uh, write in the margins, that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. I always have one of each format going. But I also notice that I've taken more notes and dictated. I, I dictate a lot of notes mm-hmm. since uh, voice recognition is so good. Yes. Whatever app you may be using. If you're on an Apple platform, I can't speak to anything else, but if you're on an Apple platform, the dictation is pretty good. Yeah. So I dictate a lot of notes and thoughts, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But I also have been doing that because it's important to remember where you got things. I'm great about remembering ideas, but not so good about remembering where I read them. Mm-hmm. I Well, I'm Stepping back now, thinking about our trends in reading, and we're, we're less good at remembering what we read, and we're less good at remembering the books that we read. I wonder if we would just have a memory I, problem. You know, this could just be <laughs> an aging issue for me. <laughs> uh, I think what we've done in the past is a little bit different than what we'll do this year on our best books. I think we're going to just talk about some great books that we read, some written this year, some um, that were just classics that we either mm-hmm. hadn't read or reread. Then some books that we didn't get to that we're looking forward to. And then at the end, we'll unveil our top five, each of our top five right. lists. I think we have the least overlap. In That's our probably list true. Of we any read list we've very had different things this year. Four or five years ago, when we were working together, I think mm-hmm. we had like four out of five of our top five That's are the same books. True. I think maybe we just have one this year that's the same. But what were some of the books that you enjoyed this year? You know, I did, I always do a lot of bio, uh, biography, and I did uh, a number of. Of biographies, but I got on a, a trend about the the fall Watergate and the fall of the Nixon administration, mm-hmm. and then also the Ford administration. Mm-hmm. I was very interested in how you healed a country after a rift like that. Uh, it wasn't motivated motivated by current politics, but I would say that we could probably use that again. And, and I say that not in a partisan sense, but we could probably use a great healer. So. I read uh, All the President's Men, which is the classic book by Woodward and Bernstein about Watergate. But then they also wrote The Final Days, which takes up from there and gets into the final days of Watergate. I wrote, I read uh, Haldeman's Diaries, uh, reread a couple other bios of Richard Nixon at that time, and then I read... Uh, the Nixon presidency and oral history. That's an interesting approach. It's what people said about Nixon at the time. And then I read uh, two biographies of uh, Gerald Ford. Hmm. And, you know, it just was an interest in that era and how things came together. So I, I kind of went on a tear for how a leader can come in and heal an organization or heal a group. Hmm. So that was one of mine was just focusing on that era. Yeah, that's an interesting topic, and it's it's funny that whether current events directly influence that or not, it, it, it is interesting how you set off because of a current event or a project or something that you're working on at work or even mm-hmm. just personally investigating, and then go through a whole raft of books. I did that this year with Jonathan Edwards for a lot of different reasons, uh, personal reasons. Of course, we did the great awakening podcast but I think that was maybe that was maybe because I had been reading so much Jonathan Edwards right but going back through and there's a great Yale 
uh, edition of his works. They're uh-huh. a little bit hard to get a hold of. But I found that the paperbacks used on eBay, there's only three or four of the Yale works that are in paperbacks, but they're some of the major works, huh. uh-huh. are pretty easy to get a hold of. And then most of it is available on the internet. I don't always enjoy reading that stuff on the internet, but if right. you are just reading a selection, it's really it's really great to do that. And uh, so in addition to some of the primary source stuff with him, like Religious Affections, the right. uh, he has three different works on the revivals, kind of somewhat historical, somewhat theological in defense of revival. There were a couple of great books I read. George Marsden has a long biography and a short biography of Edwards. Hmm. But this year he came out with a book called An Infinite Fountain of Light. And it's not exactly a biography of Edwards. What it is is a reflection of Marsden's work on Edwards and what he thinks Edwards still has to teach us now. What's interesting about that is Edwards has kind of come under fire because he was a slave owner. And so, rightfully, there's a lot of criticism. What can we really learn from a person who owns slaves? Some of that is, um, I think, the wrong kind of anachronism. But some of it is justified. And what Marsden does, he says, okay, what what can we learn from him? He Mm -hmm. was in an incredible period of scientific revolution and technology, which Mm -hmm. he kept up with. He was somebody who believed in the God-centeredness of everything in the universe, and he lived his life that way. He had mm-hmm. incredible resolve and discipline in his life. We can learn from that. And uh, he, there were some things that didn't age well with Edwards. His eschatology, for example, his right. blind spot to slavery, the uh, legacy of his theology and certain people that took him up as a banner theologian those movements kind of died out. So there, there's all kinds of things to learn from him. And it's about a, maybe it's less than 200 pages, I would say. Mm-hmm. But reflections from a master historian who's written on the American Revolution, pre-revolution, Jonathan Edwards, his whole career. And he distills all this down to what can we learn today? That was a fantastic book and a great capstone to that whole uh, group of Edwards books. You know, the other thing I got into that's kind of biography, but it's an, a niche, is diaries. Hmm. And there have been so many diaries written. I didn't now. I didn't read these this year, but I read the diaries of John Wesley, and I particularly like the diaries of George Whitfield. So those were two religious figures that kept diaries, and I thought they were fascinating in many ways. Some of it just historical, like we traveled here, we got on a ship, we went to America. You know, I preached here, I preached there. But a lot of it is an insight into their spiritual lives. Mm-hmm. And I just found that fascinating to read the diaries that they kept. And then there have been political figures. So one that I wrote this, or read this year is, if you watch The Crown, you remember that the King's private secretary, Queen's private secretary, was Sir Tommy Lassells. Well, Tommy Lassells kept a diary. And it is uh, interesting also just to read his view of what's going on at the time. Uh, Jock Colville was the private secretary to Winston Churchill. He also kept a diary against regulations during the war years. (laughs) And then the one that I read this year that I really liked, it's a two-volume set, read one volume last year, one this year, is John Quincy Adams. Mm. And if you remember in the first half of the 1800s, so he was president in the 1800s, he was vice president, and... he, uh, he, he wrote diaries from the time I think he was 17 until he died. 
And his diary entries are fascinating. Mm. Looks into, you know, early second generation leadership of America. So I kind of got into those who were diarists and just was interesting insight for their personal reflections on what they were going through. Mm -hmm. Diaries, biographies are always a big hit for us. You can learn so much just examining a person kind of all the way around. And a good biographer will tell you not just about that person's life, but everything that's really going on so that you can, so that you can understand the person. So right. you've got to give a little cultural history. You've got to give enough insight into the decisions they're making, what they're thinking, uh, the pressures they're under. I read several great biographies this year. I, would, I wouldn't put this in my top five, obviously, uh, but Elon Musk by Walter Isaacson was right. really interesting. I think it simultaneously made me more impressed with Elon Musk, uh-huh. his brain power. He's a different kind of founder, billionaire right. type than a lot of these other Silicon Valley guys, than, uh, than people like Jeff Bezos, than people like Mark Zuckerberg, because he at heart is a technical engineer. I mean, right. he, he actually, in some of the companies that he's founded, did solve some of the big engineering questions I himself. Agreed. Now, you add that to the fact that he's an entrepreneur and a manager and course he's a pretty mercurial person he can be very cruel right so I, w- I was maybe more impressed with his abilities as an engineer and as a company founder and maybe less impressed with him as a person I think I'd right. say coming away from that biography but it was interesting another one going infinite by Michael Lewis is on Sam Bankman Freed and I've really been interested in following that and I have a long article review that at some point we'll see the light of day at so we speak that I've kind of had floating around my Google Docs for about two or three months, because I, I think there's something to the phenomenon of SBF that speaks to more than SBF. Like, I don't, I don't mm-hmm. buy that uh, effective altruism is going to be a big movement. I think it's pretty right. deflated. I, I also don't buy that um, crypto and decentralized finance and blockchain are tanked because of what happened with uh, FTX and right. Coinbase and everything else. So some of these narratives that are kind of pervade in these in this book and the coverage with him, I don't, I'm not necessarily endorsing, but I think he as a person speaks to something really deep in our society right now. The thing about that book that was interesting is Michael Lewis was following SBF around before the collapse of FTX, and I think in some ways he was kind of taken in by SBF. Interesting. I, I, I think the book is pretty favorable to him, being that he was convicted very quickly of everything that he was charged with. Uh, The guy is a total charlatan. And I wonder if Michael Lewis is a little bit taken in, or maybe he wants to be a little bit taken in by the mystique of Sam Uh Bankman-Fried. It it was a very interesting read. Um, I know this one is is on your list as well of great books, and this is the first volume of James Rosen's biography of Antonin Scalia. Yes. Really fantastic book. Best bio of Scalia I've read. Oh, it was. If you haven't read one and you want to read one, Rosen's book is the way to go. So good. It made me really wish the second volume was already out. And I don't yeah. know what the plan is for that, but it'll probably be a couple of years. But man, that was a great book. I, I think because Scalia has become such a, almost like a mascot of textualism and right. conservatism and Federalist Society, and because the court has become so politicized, it takes away from the fact that Antonin Scalia in any other context besides our hyper-politicized world, would go down as one of the great, brilliant jurists, 
lawyers, government officials of our time. He's one of those guys that had a great career in the government before he became a justice. Mm -hmm. Wrote a lot of great recommendations in the Office of Legal Counsel, um, headed up several different little agencies in the government and made some, uh-huh. some big changes. But the guy was almost effortlessly brilliant yes. in the way that he was able to think and to argue and remember. And that really shines through in that book. The last one, uh, this was written in 2021, uh, but I just got around to it this year, was R.C. Sproul, A Life by Stephen Nichols. Hmm. Sproul, I wouldn't say, has been a huge, huge influence on me, but certainly has been an influence. Mm -hmm. And the biography does a great job of painting the picture of not just R.C. Sproul's influence, but Sproul rode and created a wave in Reformed evangelicalism to the extent that almost every big thing that happened in the last 50 years in evangelicalism, R.C. Sproul was somehow a part of it. Right. And so in this biography, you get the whole sweep of what's happened since about the 1960s and 70s mm-hmm. in evangelicalism and in Reformed theology, the resurgence of Reformed theology, the study centers, his relationship with Keller, his relationship with MacArthur. Really interesting look into a life that spanned Mm-hmm. Kind of all the big pinnacle, the debates over inerrancy, I mean, all of that stuff he's involved in. It was really good. That's one I actually listened to on Audible, and it was a great listen uh, because you could just get the whole sweep of his life and who he was. His personality comes through really well. So that was a very enjoyable one. But that uh, uh, several biographies that uh, I really enjoyed this year. You know, I, uh, I read a couple of business books this year. I also read the book on Elon Musk, and I would agree with you. I admire certain things about him, but not him as an individual. And then I'll save this second one for my top five, which I learned far, far more from. But Elon Musk and Isaacson's treatment of him uh, was pretty well done. Isaacson does a good job. Uh, You made an interesting comment to me as you were reading it, is that Isaacson, Isaacson does a fair job with Elon Musk, but you can tell Isaacson doesn't like him very he, well. He doesn't like Elon Musk. It's, and it's, I've read several books like this recently, where books or articles, where somebody has clearly devoted a huge amount of time to studying a person that they clearly don't like. Right. It, it's interesting for so many reasons because, one, Isaacson has written on a lot of these geniuses, but they were dead geniuses. Uh-huh. So he's looking back historically, right. and I wonder if he would have liked Einstein or right. um, Benjamin Franklin or... Well, he um, had unprecedented access to Musk. He yeah. went to all the meetings, spent, I want to say a year, is that right? Yeah, he spent over a, a year. a lot of time with Elon Musk. And, you know, I wonder if anybody would stand up to that scrutiny, frankly. That's what I'm saying is I, I, I don't know that when you're writing about these dead geniuses, you don't escape the conflict and power of personality that you have in a guy like Elon Musk. Mm -hmm. The other thing is, and this is maybe a cynical take, but I I just got the impression reading that book that given the Twitter takeover and Uh and the complete polarization that that caused with Elon Musk, it would be hard to keep your job at the Aspen Institute if you really came out with a glowing (laughs) book about Elon Musk. I'm not saying that that was his motivation, but... He's Musk has moved out of the circles that Isaacson runs in. Right. And so it would be very difficult in he's, some ways. The Twitter takeover, he's become a villain 
to the people that used to really like him. Exactly. And Isaacson is definitely part of that bunch. And you can you can feel the resentment in yeah. the book. Uh, but it's a great book nonetheless. Um, did you read anything church-wise, materials that you have recommended to people this year, or studies, anything like that? You know, I don't usually include on here, uh, on my list, anything I read, quote, for work, for research. Mm-hmm. None of the commentaries I read... Uh, none of the things that I read is research for series. Do I typically make it on here? Uh, the things that I probably recommended were, again, like you, some of the uh, older writers. For mm-hmm. example, you introduced me to, because you did a podcast with him, an author, Crawford Gribben, yes. who wrote a book called An Introduction to John Owen. And I've read a lot of John Owen's works, and they're pretty inaccessible. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to want to read them. And, uh, I mean, they're powerful, don't get me wrong, but you, you have to work for it. This introduction to John Owen that Gribben did mm-hmm. was really well done. And I would say anybody wanting an introduction to him and his work and his ideas, this is a very readable account and a much shorter one. So of, I thought that was really good. And it it sort of was an entree for anybody that wants to know a little bit more about Mm -hmm. John Owen. Definitely. I'll recommend some books that I used in different settings this year. Um, The first one is the book Lead, which I think I have recommended on here before. It's by Paul Tripp. And it's a book that we had a cohort of elder candidates this year. We met for about four months together, and they'll be ordained in January. And the two books that I chose to go along with our conversations and some articles and just all the internal Mm -hmm. organizational stuff you talk about were Lead by Paul Tripp, which Uh is about building an organization that reflects the gospel and grace. And and then You Are a Theologian, which is a brand new book by Jen Wilkin and J.T. English, who both were at the Village Church, and now J.T. English is in Colorado. It's a great little primer on theology. It's great to just say, hey, here's some of the basics. Let's toss this around and make sure we're covering all the bases here theologically. It's a quick read. It's a pretty easy read. It's definitely on the shallow end, Mm -hmm. but it covers all the basic theological stuff, the Bible, the atonement, the nature of Christ, the Godhead, the Trinity, um, you know, do a little bit on end times, a little bit on the church, a little bit about baptism and the Lord's Supper. I mean, it just touches all the stuff. It right. kicks off great conversations. So I'd say if anybody's looking for just a solid but short intro to Christian theology, there's a lot of good resources, but this one is one that I would recommend highly. I haven't read that, and I'll have to. What I've been introducing people with is kind of an old standby, but uh, Grudem wrote mm-hmm. a small one. What is it, 25 Christian Beliefs? Yeah, 20. 20 beliefs every Christian. 20, yeah, it's something like that. And it's it's short, covers it well, very orthodox. But I'll have to take a look at this because I do feel like those kinds of books just need to be written every now and then. Absolutely. They, they do. McGrath has a short one does, that's really good, yeah. but it's a little bit harder to read. It's a bit more a theological. More but theological. yeah, these, these are good. And, and some of them, they just depend on the person. But you've got to find one, especially if you're in ministry, you've got to find one that you're comfortable giving out because this is a topic that, Right. You're going to recommend this book five, six, seven times a year. Um, That's true. I also read Lead with a small group, and I would recommend it that way. Lead is a a fantastic book. Discuss a chapter a week, for example. um, So, Paul Tripp wrote a book called Dangerous Calling, which is about Mm -hmm. pastors, and it's a pretty good book. But 
he really hit his stride in lead because lead was written in response to the fall of Mars Hill. And so right. if you listen to the podcast, the rise and fall of Mars Hill, I would beg you to go out and get this book and read it because what, what Tripp did was he was on the accountability board for Mars Hill mm-hmm. and resigned when Mars Hill was falling apart out of frustration with the way things were going and then over the next few months reflected on the fact that it takes a lot more than a Mark Driscoll to bring down something like Mars Hill. Right. And this is where I think it's it's probably a helpful corrective to the podcast, which was really good in some ways and kind of deficient in some other ways. It's all about the culture of leadership that you build in a church. Is it really a culture of grace? Is it really a culture of candor? Is it a culture of humility, service? Like principle number one, there's 12 principles. And like mm-hmm. you said, Great to do one a week, great to do one a month. We read it right. as elders the first time, once a month for a year. Mm-hmm. And uh, one one chapter a month for a year. And the first principle in the book is a spiritual community that spends the majority of its time on the business of the church or the business of a ministry is typically unhealthy. That is profound. Yes. And it sparks some great conversations. So that's been that's one I'd recommend almost every year, but it's definitely on my list after having reread it this fall. Two others, these are just great Christian resources, is Family Worship by Donald Whitney. It was written in 2019. It's about a 70-page book. It talks all about how to worship together as a family. And then the Family Worship Bible Guide by Joel Beakey. Mm. And I'll spend a minute on the Family Worship Bible Guide. It is one of the best resources I've ever come across because what, what it does is has a short introduction on family worship and devotions, but then it has a paragraph or two on every chapter of the Bible written from a very practical standpoint about to a middle school level. Mm-hmm. And what the goal in writing the book was, if you'll just read a chapter of the Bible a day, whether it's in your devotional quiet time by yourself or you know, once a week at the dinner table or on Sunday evenings or every evening, whatever, and you struggle in certain parts of the Bible, which we all struggle in certain parts of the Bible of saying, how does this directly apply, inform the way I'm living my life? Mm -hmm. You can read that chapter from wherever it is in the Bible, open up this family worship Bible guide, read that paragraph, and it will help you frame it in a practical, applicable way. I have found it to be absolutely phenomenal. I would give it to every Christian that I know if I could. It's it's so, so good. Um, published by Reformation Heritage Books, it's definitely my resource of the year, is the Family Worship Bible Guide. You know, I love that idea. Uh, I remember you telling me about this, so I picked up a copy, and uh, I really like it also. But it, it, I hope we see a resurgence of family worship, and I think we might is people realizing, you know what, I can worship with my family every week. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying you do this as opposed to going to church. That's not my point. My point is that worship doesn't just have to be on Sunday, and it doesn't have to be just at church. It needs to be at church, but it doesn't have to just be at church. I hope this is a resurgence. I hope so, too. I I think it's a very important thing. It's going to become more important as the predominant discipling of young people is done in a secular culture as opposed mm-hmm. to a quasi-used-to-be-Christian culture, this is going to become even more uh, imperative. Um, last thing before we get to some our, our uh, last thing before we get to our top five, any books that you didn't read that you're really looking forward to getting to in 2024? Oh, definitely. In fact, 
I'll, uh, I'll whip down for you. I've already preloaded my 2024 uh, list of books, and let me just whip through this. Uh, the book Conflict by David Petraeus and is that Andrew, Andrew Roberts? Roberts? Yeah, that's right. That I've got that on the list. Uh, of course, all the C.S. Lewis books that you assigned to me. <laughs> uh, I uh, also am on a kick for Golda Meir. So I have her autobiography, My Life, and I have a bio of her. Uh, I also have a bio of FDR, Roosevelt, and Harry Hopkins, who was his oh, yeah. special advisor and trusted advisor and traveled with him. It just focuses on that particular, uh, that particular thing. And then a friend of mine, Jerry Pattengale, I know you know Jerry very well too, wrote a book with, uh, I believe it was a Jewish rabbi, called The World's Greatest Book. Mm -hmm. And so those are a few of the ones, along with the dozen you assigned me on C.S. Lewis, that are in my start out 2024 list. I'm guilty of monopolizing our, our reading time a bit for the new year. You are indeed. How about you? What are you looking forward to reading? What's on uh, your list for this year? Three books that have kind of been in the stack that I'm really looking forward to but haven't gotten around to is You're Not Crazy by Ray Ortland and Sam Alberry. Huh. I went to their breakout at the Gospel Coalition Conference in October and they did, they covered a little bit on the book. And, of course, they had a podcast that gave rise to this book. But it's all about culture in the church, not just church leaders, but church people. Uh -huh. And especially in a post-COVID world, which changed a lot of churches. You know, how are we building gospel-centered cultures? Um, a, t a more technical book called Creator by Peter Lightheart. Listeners hmm. will know Peter Lightheart is a huge, huge influence of mine. I will read anything that he writes, and this is his kind of systematic theology of Genesis 1. Interesting. It's, in in a totally lightheartian way, it defies categories, but it is mm -hmm. a biblical and systematic theology of Genesis 1. Looking forward to getting to that. That actually just came out about two weeks ago. And then third, this one's been out for a while. I've read the first chapter of it. It was really good, but it just got put down and never picked back up. Is Five Lies of Our Modern Age by Rosaria Butterfield. Oh, very important book, and I'm looking forward to going through that one as well. Okay, before we get to the top five, though, this will only take a second. Fiction. You and I are not big fiction readers. Yeah. Okay, but I'm going to admit to you a book I have never read, <laughs> and I read this year, and it is uh, P.G. Woodhouse, uh, and it is one of the Jeeves series. And so if, if you don't know about these, I read My Man Jeeves, and this is set in England with uh, Bertie Wooster, who's a decadent, silly uh, aristocrat, and he has this brilliant butler, his mm -hmm. man Jeeves. It's fictional, of course, but P.G. Woodhouse is probably one of the wittiest writers, and there, he's written a lot of things, but I, I read that this year. And then I read, reread Kipling's poems. I'm a big Rudyard Kipling fan, and Shelley's poems. But I just have to admit to you, Cole, that's pretty much the fiction. That's about all I read. Well, that's better than I did. Uh, usually, we do a fiction section. I always try to make an effort to read some fiction each year. <laughs> uh, I definitely did not capitalize on that this year. Um, so it, I, I mentioned in the past I love the Walt Longmire books. Oh yes, yeah. And 
So I reread a couple of old Longmire books. I'm not actually caught up with the series. I'm a couple of books away, but maybe I'll do that in the new year. Um, I read half of Lonesome Dove, huh. which I mentioned that because it's about 800 pages. So I, I really gave it... That's that's one whole book in <laughs> that's, normal books. That's one whole fiction book in normal fiction books. But I, I really gave it my all. And I really did enjoy it, but it was, again, one of those that just petered out in the middle for me. Um, and I'm trying. I'm racking my brain now to think if I read any other fiction this year. But it was not a good year for fiction in the fake houses. I will say, <laughs> fiction does not get a lot of love you on know, this podcast. We need suggestions. We send us your suggestions. Send us suggestions for your best fiction because we clearly need to broaden our our send horizons. Send us your suggestions and temper your expectations that they will get read. <laughs> but I would love to know what we should read in fiction. Right, that would be fantastic. Um, okay, I think we've come to our top fives. So give us your top five books that you read this year. Okay, first of all, you may or may not have heard of Tom Holland. Tom Holland is a secular historian, half of one of the big hit podcasts, The Rest is History. So Mm -hmm. this is sort of popular history, but he's a serious historian, ancient historian. We read different books by Tom Holland, but I read one called Dynasty, and in this, he traces the Julio-Claudian dynasty. Mm-hmm. So think from Augustus Caesar, uh, 27 BC is when I believe he became emperor, to Claudius, who lived, uh, let's see, 54 AD. So it's not a big piece, yeah. but it's right through the time of Jesus and Paul, right in that era. And it it's a great, it's just really well done, well uh, readable good history of the, the Claudian dynasty. It's a great book. It's, it's, it's number two of a trilogy. Mm-hmm. So Rubicon is the first one. It's about Julius Caesar. Right. Then you get Dynasty about yes. Augustus. And then the book that released this year, which is on my list but not my top five list, is called Pax, P-A-X, like Pax right. Romana. Pax Romana. Mm-hmm. And it is about the time from essentially Nero through the Antonines and the golden right. age of the Pax Romana. Tom Holland is amazing. I, I like his podcast even better than his books, but his mm-hmm. books are fantastic. Agreed. My second and my top five is an annual read for me. So this may or may not be interesting to other people, and you've probably heard me talk about it, but it's called Finding Calcutta by Mary Poplin. A short version. Mary Poplin, sort of religious uh, professor, who several years ago went to Calcutta, which is something you could do when Mother Teresa was alive and the Sisters of Charity there, and she would go, and I think she spent a month, and she just worked. You just work there, and they assign you something to do. I'll just stop there and just say that this book, very easy read. It talks about her experiences. This book, why do I read it every year? The simplicity and the devotion of those sisters, not just Mother Teresa, but those sisters, convicts me a little bit, but mainly encourages me that the greatest things that are done for Christ are probably not the things that are known. Mm. And I find that to just be encouraging and humbling, and it's, it, it lifts me up every year. My third was Scalia by James Rosen. We've talked about that. Uh, my fourth is, uh, I talked last year about having read Ian McGilchrist's book, The Master and His Emissary, and I know you've read that as well. Ian McGilchrist is, uh, he read literature, but then he's an MD, 
and a psychiatrist, and he did neuroimaging research at Johns Hopkins. And so he's extremely well qualified. And the book, The Master and His Emissary, very odd name, but basically he looks at the hemisphere, I'm going to really oversimplify this, the hemispheres of the brain. And he, he says, forget everything you've ever thought. Like mm-hmm. right brain, creative people. Left brain, analytical people. In a nutshell, he would say more that both parts of your brain are involved in everything that you do. And the right hemisphere is more holistic, looking at your environment and pulling things together. The left brain is more detailed, hunting, detailed, and analyzing things. And you need both, but uh, we do tend to favor one or the other. And of course, he talks about this from a, a, an anatomical, a biochemical, and a philosophical point mm-hmm. of view. I think it, it has a lot of resonance with understanding our world. So then he wrote a two-volume, huge tome called The Matter with Things. And he extends that research and he begins to talk about how the world got to be the way it was and how much of it comes from this. He avoids being a determinist, mm-hmm. meaning everything can be explained by the synapses in your brain. He, he doesn't believe that. But this way of looking at humanity is very interesting. And mm-hmm. so I'll give a summary of that at some point on a podcast when I'm finished yeah, it. But I that. really like it. I know you're a fan of Ian McGilchrist as well. I really am. And this book, I don't even know how you would quite describe it. You did a great job of boiling it down because it's like, I don't know how long, it's like 2,000 pages or something. Oh, yeah. it's and, and it's unlike any book I've ever read in the sense that his breadth is there's there's got to be very few people on the planet that could write this book. I agree. Because he not only has the medical background, as you mentioned, he's a first-rate philosopher in certain areas, mm-hmm. but he also has an aesthetic sense of mm-hmm. the world, music and art. I mean, the guy is extremely impressive. And that's why the book is such an enjoyable read, is because it's almost like going on a guided tour of the Met Opera... The British Museum, uh, uh, the Cavendish Lab, and you know wherever else, and uh, all the, the latest studies, all all at the same time. Yeah, it, it it really is amazing, and he's it's an interesting individual. Very interesting. My fifth and final one is going to be a bit of a surprise. Uh, I have read uh, in my career, business career, so many business books, and I've taken some nuggets out of many many business books. But here's one that just came out a year ago, and I had just seen it maybe three, four months ago and put it on my list. But this is a book called Business Not by the Book. It is written by David Green, the founder of Hobby Lobby, with Bill High. And this, if you, uh, it's not a secular business book, but I, I learned and took away more nuggets out of this for not just business, but ministry as well, and the way you go about leading any institution of any, and this is saying something, of any business book I've ever read. And I've read a lot of good business books, and I've taken a lot of good things from them, and they tend to be faddish. One thing I will say about this, these are timeless principles. Mm -hmm. It's divided into three sections. A lot of the examples are from Hobby Lobby, but not exclusively so. It's just more a philosophy of leadership. 
It has God-focused practices in your life and your business, people-centered practices, and finally, common sense practices. And under each of these are a few chapters that really flesh it out a little bit. So Business Not by the Book by David Green and Bill High was my surprise. I just I had not expected this to be as good as it was. Yeah. Oh, and so I would just highly recommend it as a leadership book. Well, that's a pretty well-rounded list right there. If you read those, you get a little bit of everything. A little of everything. My uh, top five for this year starts with definitely my pick of the year. This was the best book, most enjoyable, uh, took the most from it this year, and it was Colin Hansen's book on Tim Keller, called yes. Timothy Keller. Yeah. This book was interesting to me for, for several different reasons. One, it was about Keller, who's been a huge influence, and we, we recorded a podcast on that earlier this year. But the other thing is, it was a, a bit of an intellectual biography of Keller. And so Colin Hansen did a great job of bringing in all these other influences on Tim right. Keller. John Stott, Martin Lloyd-Jones, Jonathan Edwards, Francis Schaeffer. I mean, so many different influences. And so one of the fun things was, if you've read a lot of these other people, mm-hmm. you get to see what Keller made of those people. What right. he took away... How he got synthesized into his own life and ministry and thought. And I, I came away from it with a new appreciation for Keller, not just as a church planter, mm-hmm. not just as a theologian, uh, not just as a cultural apologist, but you get the real sense that at his core, he was a revivalist in the right, right. sense of that word. That surprised me a little bit too, but it was enlightening. Yeah, it was it's something I hadn't paid any attention to. Now, in hindsight, you see it everywhere. If you read Center Church, you see it. Uh, if you read his preaching book, you really see it. Uh-huh. But that's core to who he was, is the dynamics of spiritual life, which he learned from Richard Lovelace, mm-hmm. colored his entire ministry. The other thing is what a brilliant, I don't even want to use the word synthesizer, maybe incorporator would be a better word, but... Mm-hmm. He, he, Keller was interesting because he had the mind of an academic, but the ability to take things from the academy and put them into the practical church world that he was living in. Mm-hmm. And so he would do something like read the Banner of Truth, two-volume Jonathan Edwards collected works, and come away and give a talk at the TGC 2016 breakout on what he learned about preaching from Jonathan Edwards. Right. His ability to take these core things and not become an imitator of whoever he was reading, Charles Taylor, you know, all these big influences, but take what it was that they were talking about and figure out, oh, that that goes over here. Right. I'm going to utilize this. <clears throat> I'm going to marry this to that and then utilize it for what I see God doing in my current circumstance. That was something I hadn't seen in him that Hanson does such a good job of bringing out. So that was my top book. Remaking the World by Andrew Wilson. Mm. Definitely high high on my list. It's a book that uh, is all about the world being a bit uh, more Christian than we think it is. The Christianization of the world. uh, Specifically in this book, the year 1776 and all that was going on in that year. And in fact, I like this book so much that I'm teaching a course uh, through... OBU in January, we're going to the Museum of the Bible, and I assign this as, as uh, mandatory reading for the course. Uh, it's, it's a great book. On that same topic, the other Tom Holland book is Dominion. That's mm-hmm. his second newest book, 
And it is one that really kicked off this trend of appreciating the Christian influence in forming the West that's kind of going on right now with the new theism. I mean, this right. idea has been around forever, <clears throat> but there's a cluster of people, intellectuals, writers, um, that are all talking about this topic right now. Everybody from Jordan Peterson, Douglas Murray, Ion Hersey Ali, Justin Brierley. There's a whole big movement of people talking about without Christianity, we don't have the foundation of a lot of things we take for granted in the West. Mm-hmm. And this, I think, is the best book in that group. It's the one that kicked off the thinking among these thinkers. And uh, as we've already said, Tom Holland is really amazing. It's a long book, but it's written episodically. It's written as a narrative. So it's really an enjoyable read. Probably the close second for book that I took the most from this year is a really kind of obscure little book called The Pastor of Kilsyth. It's by Islay Burns. It's a Banner of Truth book that was originally written in the late 19th century about his dad, who is a pastor in rural Scotland. And uh, his dad was kind of an ordinary pastor. But you quickly find out in the book that ordinary then and ordinary now are not the same thing. Mm. He was rural, he was faithful, he was vibrant, he was uh, brimming with the word and with prayer and pastoral care for his people. He had a revival breakout in their church uh, and later in his ministry, he had kids that followed him into the ministry and in the faith. Just an amazing story of a faithful guy. He suffered a lot. He had several things go terribly wrong in his life, but he mm. trusted God. And so we hosted a pastor's retreat out in Carlton Landing uh, a couple of months ago. And this was the book that I sent to everybody that was coming to the retreat that we could discuss. And it was, it was a feast of discussion about spiritual life and, and leadership. The last book on my list is called The Inklings, Mm. and it has come up through our C.S. Lewis reading. It's not just about C.S. Lewis. It's about Lewis, Tolkien, Barfield, and Williams, Mm -hmm. and it's written by a couple called the the Zaleskis, and it's all about their individual lives and then how they weave together in this group of the Inklings. So you get a little biography of each of them. You get how they met each other, what they were working on, their literary lives, and this little club that they had, this little fellowship that they had together of talking and reviewing each other's writings and spurring each other on, it, that is a great story in and of itself. Mm-hmm. But this book is so expertly written and so well done. It's the best of what I've read for the C.S. Lewis stuff so far. And we've read some really good stuff so far, and we have right. a lot queued up still. But this one was this one was really at the top of my list. That is quite a, a list. You know, the one that... Uh, surprised me the most, and I haven't read it, is the one about the Scottish pastor. And you know what? I do think that there are absolute nuggets just hidden away in, quote, obscure people. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you the comparison that I'll make. Uh, You telling me about that book and having just read the book on Elon Musk. And I I Mm -hmm. say this not to take anything away from Elon Musk. I, I do admire some of his abilities. But think about this guy. I'd never heard of this guy right. until you told me about it. And see how rich the lessons, life lessons were from it. And so good lesson to me was don't just look at the big name titles. There are nuggets of wisdom and spiritual encouragement in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. Well, I would say this, compared to previous years, we've listed a lot more books than we have in years past. So mm-hmm. I, I can confidently say everyone should be able to find something, something on this list that they yes. enjoy. So get out the Amazon gift cards uh, that you may have sitting around after Christmas 
and send us your recommendations from this year on Instagram or Facebook or send us an email, info at soespeak.com. Let us know what you've been reading, what you've enjoyed. And also, we've got a giveaway of five of these books that will be on Instagram today. And so look for those, uh, enter the giveaway, and enjoy uh, this list of our books. And we'll enjoy the list of your books as you send them in. Happy reading in 2024. Thanks for listening to the So We Speak podcast. If you like what you hear, go ahead and leave a comment, leave a review, email us, tell us what you like about it, tell us what you'd improve about it. Thanks to all you guys who are listening, and we'll see you next week on the So We Speak podcast.